Welcome back into another episode of George in the Jungle, presented by Remington Tavern. Remington Tavern can be found at 8892 Glendale Milford Road, 45140. Daily happy hours from 3 to 7 p.m. $5 Woodford Wednesdays. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Instagram is at Remita V. Cincy. That's R-E-M-I-T-A. V Cincy with a Y as it should be. Uh, and you can also follow Remington Tavern on Facebook. George. Yes, sir. Two, week, How you doing, two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. It's a streak now, right? That's right. <laughs> we haven't had power outages, food sickness, um, none of that stuff. So that's good. We're on a roll now. We, we love that. Um, the Bearcats just finished with their game against Bryant as uh, they take down the Bryant Bulldogs in a final score of 85 to 53. What a weird game that was. I'll tell you, the first half was downright ugly. And I think UC had like nine turnovers in the first half, weren't shooting the ball well. It was just like this massive hangover from the loss to Xavier on Saturday. Um, and, and quite honestly, they probably looked worse in the first half of this game than they did the first half of the Xavier game. And that's saying something because, you know, that that was atrocious. Um, but in the second half, I mean, they shot darn near 60%, um, you know, did some nice things inside. And, and it looked like to me tonight they were getting some good looks inside early. They just weren't making anything. And they weren't making anything outside the paint either to help soften things up. Um, but once they got it rolling, uh, they went out and did what they needed to do and covered the spread and all that good stuff. Um, but they still ended up, I think they had 15 turnovers in all. Um, yes. That, that was not good. The rebounding was off the charts, and it should have been with the advantage UC had inside. I was kind of expecting UC's inside game to play more of a role Saturday than what it did. And I know they scored like 50 in the paint to 32 for Xavier, um, but it just felt like the big guys did not uh, get what I thought they would offensively against Xavier. But when, when, when your guns – you know, Skillings, Lukosius, and Frederick go a combined two for 20. You're not going to beat anyone. And you give Xavier some credit for that defensively. But they also – they had a lot of open looks. They just missed. And it was just a typical uh, UC loss to a Xavier team. And and uh, I think what irritates a lot of people, a lot of UC people, UC fans about that, is you feel like UC's got a better roster than Xavier. Agreed. You feel like they have – better players, uh, you know, top to bottom. Uh, they should not be losing a game to Xavier like that. Um, I, I know Xavier played Houston tough, and and certainly they've got something going on in this in this series that, you know, to make it five straight wins. But, you know, Wes Miller and the gang's got to figure that out. they got to figure out ways to beat teams that uh, – I just, I just feel like when they get up against an opponent with similar – talent it, it's more of a struggle than it should be and and you look at what they did on the road at Howard and maybe that should have been a precursor to what was going to happen at Xavier where 
at Howard, they could never they could never shake that team. They were lucky to get out of there with a win. It was their first true road game. Xavier was on the road. I don't know. They got to get that figured out. But uh, certainly the second half tonight against Bryant was a lot better. And, and Bryant's no joke. They're not great, obviously. But um, it was good to see UC turn it on in the second half and, and put the kind of performance out there that they should against uh, Bryant. But that Saturday night thing, man, I think I think there was a hangover with the team and the fans when, you know, I was at Fifth Third Arena for the game tonight. And everything was sluggish in that first half. But once they started hitting shots and getting in the flow, um, things felt a lot better for UC. But it just, whew, I don't know, man. When they get in that Big 12 play, uh, based on what I saw Saturday, they got some issues to figure out here. I was about, I don't know, I guess about five minutes into the first half, uh, they, they mentioned the name Doug Edert. And uh, I was, I was like, where, where do I know that name from? I know that name, and he was the guy who had the special St. Peter's run yes. uh, with, with the team that took down Kentucky and Murray State. Um, I was surprised to not see more out of him on this team, as especially down the stretch when when they seemed to struggle to shoot the ball uh, for Bryant. But uh, just a, a strange game overall. Uh, I, I agree they came out extremely flat in the first half. Uh, I can only imagine what that halftime locker room sounded like. Uh, Wes, uh, I, I don't, you were at the arena for the first, at least the first half, right? Yeah. Wes was extremely short in his uh, halftime interview. I think he said all of maybe like four or five words to <laughs> poor, poor Kelsey Conway. She's just trying to do her job. No coach really likes that halftime interview. But he, he just said something like, uh, we need to play better, that simple, or something along those lines. Or maybe it was just even s- simpler than that, like, play better, it's that simple. And then ran. He was done. Uh, it was – Yeah, felt, well, I felt bad he had to go him. yell at him, man. He, he, he needed all the time he could to blister yeah. the walls because watching those nine turnovers and seeing um, – and, and I know it worked in the second half some with the lob to Aziz and all that. But they got to quit trying to go to that all the time. It seemed like in the first half, there were so many lobs inside um, that didn't work out. I think the one that did work out is when he got fouled, uh, when he was just trying to throw it in the hoop and barely got his hand on the ball and and got bailed out with a foul there. But it just seems like they keep going to that play. And I think it's worked a couple of times. And it did work down the stretch in this game. But um, not a big fan of that. If it's there, fine, but it shouldn't be like a 50-50 play. It should be a sure thing. If you're going to lob that ball up to someone, they should have a clear path to dunk it and, and get the points. And, and it just feels to me like it's almost like half a prayer, just throw it up and hope. Well, that's not going to get it done, and it didn't get it done in the first half tonight. And that, that get- led to a lot of those turnovers too. I'm going to give you some some strange stats here, George, and get your thoughts on them. Uh, Cincinnati from the field goes 25 to 62, made four more shots altogether than Bryant, uh, made one less three on uh, 10 less three pointers, uh, but 29 of 37 from the line tonight. Free throws, they, they outshot, they, they made 20 more free throws than Bryant even took. That's crazy. Bryant took nine. They were four of nine from the line. 
where the Bearcats were 29 of 37. I don't know that I've ever seen a disparity that different. No, and and what Bryant had a couple guys foul out, a couple more guys with four fouls. Um, I guess they figured they had to, you know, get after it to have any chance of winning, and it was working for a while, but it finally caught up with them. But those are some strange stats. And then also um, the, the rebounding margin. I mean, that is out of control, too. Yeah, uh, Cincinnati with 57 rebounds, whereas Bryant had 33. Uh, Cincinnati finished with 10 blocks on the night. Uh, just the, when you when you go in up three at the half, it was, it was what, 30-27, I believe, at, at the half. Yes. And, and you end up winning by 32. Right. What a just again, I, I can't say it enough. Well, they see. scored 55 in the second half, right? They outscored them like 55 to 29 or something. Just a, a strange tale of two halves. Um, but yeah, it was I'll tell you if you look, um, 55 26 in the second half, 55. Yeah, I mean, my god, that's dominating. Um, and if you look at that box from the Xavier game, too. You'll look at that and be like, well, shoot, UC probably won this game until you get to that free throw line and, and you see the disparity there. And I forget what it was, but it was more than enough to make up the difference. Um, but as poorly as I felt UC played in that game on the stat sheet, it wasn't all that bad. I mean, when you went comparing across the lines with what Xavier had done and what UC did, and you know, you see – what what I say, 50 to 32 in the paint in UC's favor, you're going to win that game, I mean, 90-plus percent of the time sure. if you're outscoring somebody that much in the paint. And it just didn't happen. But, again, a lot of it was those fouls. And, and uh, you know, it was unfortunate that, that Day-Day Thomas had the first half he had against Xavier. Uh, thankfully, Jizzle James had a great first half. And then Day-Day really picked it up in the second half. And the same thing tonight. He wasn't very good in the first half. Um, Decision-making, shooting, you name it. But um, in the second half, he was fantastic. And so they got to get that figured out because it's it's just, you know, you can't always bank on these big second halves to pull these games out. they got to find a way to get started a little faster. Um, traditionally, UC never starts fast against Xavier. But um, that's happened that's a few true. times this season. Where, you know, I mean, look at the Georgia Tech game. I mean, that second half run they had, or the, the beginning of the second half, that run they put on, uh, was all the difference in the game, and they ended up blowing Georgia Tech out. But it'd be nice to get some of that going in the first half. And, and you know, it is a little sluggish in the first half for both teams because you're feeling each other out, trying to figure out what's going on, what they're doing. Um, but I, I just they, – they've got to figure that part of it out. And if they do – uh, then maybe they have a chance to be a decent basketball team and a better team than than what I felt like they were going to be after what I saw Saturday. Yeah, uh, obviously, I guess at halftime you're you're hoping that they can somehow figure out how to how to pull this game out and and get ahead. They most certainly did that in the second half, and now you're looking ahead to this game against Dayton on Saturday. And wondering how much, how much this team has to play at a 
neutral site, albeit you know just a few minutes off campus, certainly closer than than Dayton's got to go for this game. Um, right. But they'll be playing down at Heritage Bank Arena, and I don't know. I mean, what I felt was a lot more confidence, I guess, a, a week ago. I'm wondering what this team's going to look like against a, another formidable opponent in Dayton. Yeah, it's not going to be an easy game for UC, I don't think. Um, Dayton's pretty tough. They've had their moments this year. Um, but, you know, play. I, I think what they lost probably by double digits to Houston. Um, but they got some other nice wins in there. And so I don't know. I don't I don't know what to expect on Saturday night. But I, I know this. I, I, I don't feel as good about it as I did. Um, I, I – I don't know. We'll see how they do against the Flyers, but I wonder what the crowd's going to be like, too. I wonder, you know, Dayton's going to bring a lot of fans. There's no doubt about that. They love playing Cincinnati, and, you know, it's a neat little hour drive down to Cincinnati and watch your team play, and and uh, it used to be a great series. I used to love that game every year. I wish they still did it every year. Um, I wish they did home and home, but um, that's me. I wish they'd do home and home with a lot of teams around here. Uh, but I, I get it. I understand how the schedule shakes out and the buy games and, you know, you want to make sure you have enough wins, but, but to me, um, that's a no brainer to me. They should be playing Dayton every year. Yeah. That game you were talking about at Houston, uh, they actually lost by 14 in that one. Um, but Dayton having only lost two games, uh, to Houston and also to, I believe it was, I don't want to say it wrong, Northwestern. Northwestern. That's right. Yes, they did lose to Northwestern. Yep. So, I don't know. I, I, I am certainly not feeling anywhere near as confident as I did a week ago going into this one. I, I thought that this one was going to be far less a, a competitive game than, than Xavier and even Xavier, I wasn't looking forward to much of a competitive game. Yeah, I, I and going back to that Xavier game, and I wonder, I know I, um, I think Chad brought this up or somebody, but yeah, you wonder, like, in that game, um, James and, and Thomas both were just exploding past their defenders out front. Yeah. And you wonder, first of all, uh, they should have taken more advantage of that than what they did. Um, second of all, do you think there is room to get both those guys on the floor at the same time? That, that would have been very interesting on, you know, what they do and what Xavier does and how they respond to that because, you know, they weren't able to handle one of them and keep them from getting in the paint. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen both of them together and seen what would have happened. And who knows, the flip side defensively, maybe it wouldn't have worked, but I think it would. I think those guys are both you know, can guard guys a little bigger than them. They're quicker. Um, but I just felt like it, it seemed like they could have exploited that a little better than what they did. Truthfully, after tonight and seeing what we've seen out of these these two big rotations, I'm wondering if two point guards in there for some stretch spans would, would might not be the worst thing for this team that, that seems to struggle at times when they have two bigs out there, when you have – Right. Vic and Vic and Aziz, or uh, even Vic and Odie, or uh, sometimes it's Odie and Aziz. <laughs> sure, 
So, yeah. so I don't, I don't know. That's just that that thought has been creeping more and more as we're watching this team, and I feel like they they run better when they're in transition. The ball flows better when they're when they're moving, when they're moving fast, moving quickly, right. uh, when they're moving out ahead of the other team, and when when the ball slows down, it seems that they aren't finding their shots. They aren't finding that extra pass to get the the open shots uh, quite so simply as they are in transition. So I, I don't know. I'm, and there was a lot of that in the first half tonight too, where they got in their half court offense, and it's like, you know, the 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 resulting shot was not really a good shot. Yep. So I'm yeah I, I'm curious to see if because it's not anything that's sustainable for a whole game, a whole half, or even right. length length periods of the game. But you can do it for spots here and there for you know maybe three minutes before a timeout or just time time of rotation before a, a media timeout or something of that nature. Um, where you, Chad brought this up last night, where you kind of stagger it and have like day day in and then bring them in during a timeout together and then after the next time out run with just jizzle um that that might be something that you can do and and they certainly need to consider it i i think they certainly do um and quite honestly when you know and and you're kind of feeling your way as you go through this month of december to to get it ready for conference play but you kind of got to explore everything and i i would i would like for them to explore that option and and who knows um Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I'd sure like to see him try it, see what happens. And I thought Saturday night might have been the perfect time to pull that out too. Yep, I'm I'm with you. I, I think it'd be and as you get into big that Xavier game. What did you think of you know Newman pretty much uh, being on Claude and then you know Frederick or whoever picking up Oliveri? And a lot of people felt like Newman should have been on him from the start in that game. But I, I guess I get Wes's thinking in that Claude's going to hurt you with the drive and doing the sure. things he does. And Newman's probably a better defender for that than, than a guy that's going to, you know, the, the you think the problem with Oliveri is going to be he's going to hurt you from three-point land. So I, I guess the defense made sense. And he did. But then when he went off, you know, everyone's like, what the hell, I am the best defender and I guess I can see why the coaching staff went that route. Uh, but, again, that game, you know, and Xavier does this to teams, they'll win at the free throw line just by shooting a large volume of free throws or certainly a, a, a large volume compared to what you're sending the other team to the line. And, and, you know, until what we saw tonight, UC wasn't getting to the line a whole hell of a lot. But um, maybe they fix that tonight against good old Bryant. Who knows? Well, to your point on on Xavier, uh, Claude came in as the arguably the best player on the team, and Olivari had had some stretches recently, coming off a thirty four point win or, or loss rather. Uh, he had he had thirty four team high thirty four in their in their loss against Delaware, right? Um, and Delaware losing or Delaware beating Xavier might have been the worst thing that could have happened to Cincinnati. Yeah, at this point, I mean. Got yeah, him super hyper focused. That game Saturday. I mean, yeah. that was a desperation situation for them. On top of it being a rivalry game, they were in a situation where they had to null, bite, claw everything they could right. to come out of there. And that that's how you have to play that game. And that's how UC has to play it. But 
um, Sean Miller and, and that staff knew their season was teetering a little bit with those three straight losses at home, losing to Oakland and Delaware. Um, you know, they, they had to kind of reset the season and that gave them the perfect opportunity to do it. And, uh, you know, congratulations to them for doing it. They got it done, found a way and, and, uh, you know, who knows where they go from here. I still think it's going to be a struggle for them, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if the Big East is as good top to bottom as everyone thought it would be coming into the season. There is no doubt about any of that, sir. But switching gears a little bit, there was a game on Sunday. Oh, yeah, there was. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, this Cincinnati Bengals team. I know. What are, what are we doing? I wrote them off. Getting- they're not getting much respect for these last two wins either. I was looking today, and the Athletic had this, uh, and I don't know how they come up with this formula for them, um, and I tried to find it and, and make sense of it, but uh, they have the Bengals as a 12.9% chance to make the playoffs. And, man, I, I when you look at what's left on that schedule – all those games are winnable if they're going to play the way they did the last couple of weeks where the offensive line is doing what it's doing and, and Browning, they found a, a good ways to, you know, they've, they've adjusted to what they use and what they do with him back there. And, and the line's been given him time to operate too. And I just, and the way they're running the ball now, 12.9% seems a little low to me given, you know, the teams in front of their seven and six now. And I know they've got that dastardly conference record that could come into play as a tiebreaker. And that's the Achilles heel right now is how terrible their conference record is. But so I'll try and answer this. Maybe nine wins tops. Well, they've already got seven, um, you know, four games left. I, I, I don't know. I see them getting the 10 wins with what they have left. I'll try and answer this the best way that I, I, I've come up with. Uh, I believe there's still currently uh, 24 teams in the hunt uh, that have not yet been eliminated, which that's an absurd amount of teams this late in the season to, to still be in the hunt as you're looking at week 15. Um, I think it's week 15, week 14, 14, 14. Yes. Um, now I'm confused. No, 15. <laughs> no, it's it's 14 because you got Vikings, Steelers, Chiefs, and Browns. So we there no well, there, I guess there's eight, yeah, there's 18 weeks now. You, you're right. You throw in the bye and that's you're right. Everything up. Yep. So week 15. There we go. Um but yeah, they they have so you have 24 teams still left. Uh the Bengals currently are in 10th the 10th position, I believe. Correct. So, Correct. yeah, I mean, they, they shouldn't have very high odds to make the playoffs. Even uh, you're in the 10th spot. You finished the one o'clock games in the seventh spot. And by the time the four o'clock games were over, you, you had moved to the 10th spot, which That's is where that stupid conference. Also crazy. Play. Right. Also crazy. <laughs> and, and yeah, they're behind the Colts, even though they beat them, but it's just, it, it's how that tiebreaker works. And that's a shame that they're they're that far behind the eight ball with that conference record, because uh, that could screw them. 
Um, sure. But I, I just feel like the way they're playing now, the defense is playing well. Uh, in fact, that's my first thing as, as well as the offense played and the running game and, you know, God bless the screen play. They're using that now. I've been carping on that all season. Yes, we uh, have. But the defense allowing 46 rushing yards. Now, of course, the Colts were playing for behind a lot, but outside of those two minutes or whatever it was at the end of the first half where things went haywire, uh, the Bengals dominated this game. And I just feel like these past couple of weeks, you know, beating Jacksonville on the road uh, and Jacksonville's a division-leading team, and then the Bengals just dominating the Colts like that. I mean, they that, that game was not – it, it really was not close. Um, it's and, so uh, confusing they, to me. You know, Hendrickson, two sacks. Uh, B.J. Hill with a diving interception off a deflection to, to seal the game. Um, you know, they were they had to turn to the rookie Ivy at cornerback for some plays, and, and he held up. I just think they're playing really well right now. And then the Colts stunk. They were terrible. Uh, they were in every phase of the game. They were awful. They were their special teams. That guy couldn't make a field goal. He couldn't kick an extra point. And that's uh, the highest paid well, kicker in the league. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and, and they drop a punt. Um, they did everything they could to lose that game. And the Bengals took advantage of it. But I just think the Bengals are playing well enough right now where they, I know it's Jake Browning, but they have to be considered a threat. And, and look what that dude's done in the past couple of weeks and, and his numbers on the season now, I mean, I think I wrote them down here somewhere. Um, 77 of 102, 75% completion and a 110 quarterback rating, almost 111. Joe Burrow's quarterback rating is 91. I mean, Jake Browning's last couple of games have been superb. In fact, is, 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 uh, I think he's got the highest completion percentage in the NFL the past couple of weeks, you know, the combined. I think two games. Right. Yeah. And he's playing really well. And I did not see this coming. I don't know if anybody did, but my God, he looks pretty darn good back there. George, we were, we were out ahead of this curve. And I, I say that by what I mean by that is getting Joe Mixon involved with this offense has yeah. been the key to everything. Yeah. The key to everything. He's got over 100 all-purpose yards the last two weeks. Yep. He's on fire. He's running with his hair on fire, truthfully. Yes, he is. I, I don't I, – I, truthfully, I don't know if I'm frustrated with Zach Taylor for winning these games because I, I had resigned to the fact that we were going to have a fantastic <laughs> draft pick. Uh, I don't wow. know if I'm frust- – I don't know if I'm frustrated with Zach Taylor for the fact that he's figured out how to call an offense – you're yeah. not just you're not just running Joe back there to throw 50 times a game and hope that he doesn't get injured scrambling around in the pocket. Correct. You're, you're not leaning on an offensive line to protect a quarterback 50 times. Crazy that they enjoy going out and paving the way for a running back. Wouldn't have ever guessed that these guys like to be road graders. Yeah, and and I mean that's been working and and I know a lot of that running was you know, putting the game away, you had the big lead, you're prote- all that. But still, they did it effectively. And, and when they needed to run earlier in the game, they ran well. You know, they're getting seven, eight yards on first down, setting up a good second down play. It's, it, it's you know, they do the play action now with with Browning up under center. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, 
play action they get involved there and using that screen pass. And I mean, to me, Joe Mixon, and I, we've talked about this at length, good receiver out of the backfield. He really sure. is. Sure. He really is. And I don't know why it's taken this long to put that to use. And now you got Chase Brown, who, uh, you know, was kind of like the, the star of the game in a way for the Bengals, so, you know, with that 54 yard touchdown. I think he had what did he have from scrimmage 105 yards from scrimmage, including that 54 yard touchdown. Yep. He's going to get involved now, kind of a change of pace guy. Which we were also it's talking about, yeah, you, you needed to have another running back yep. to compliment Joe Mixon, so it's not just Joe running for his right. Uh, we we were so far ahead of this curve. We had been talking about this since since Joe was since Joe Burrow was injured initially, trying to figure out why he was throwing so many times. Right when when he was playing on what looked like a, a three quarters of a leg. Right, and, and there there was no reason to expose him to all that. Nope. I mean that's asking for trouble. And and I don't know what's going on with this offensive line now. I feel like they're playing a hell of a lot better now. Yeah. Did early, and this happened last year with them. The well, same that's what I'm saying. They, that's what I'm saying. Not, is they were not blocking well early in the season like they are now. This same thing happened last year. But man, they 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 really are coming together. And uh, I don't want to. Well, I will. You know, they're making it look easy. They're making offense look easy. That's the difference, though, for an offensive line that is blocking for both the run and the pass and not just sitting back there trying to block 50 times for your quarterback. Yes. And and you're not, you know, the other team can't pin their ears back like they yeah. have been doing early. And and if they do pin them back and come, you know, you, you, you do have a running game to counteract that. You do have you're, a screen here every now and then to counteract that. And you're keeping defenses honest. Uh, yes. And I, I was, I was screaming during that game about, Oh my God! Another screen and it worked, and and not all of them are going to work, but they've got it working pretty good right now. I mean, Mixon and, yes. and Brown both, um, you know, looked really, really good in that facet of the game, and and that's why I'm confident that the Bengals are are going to find a way to sneak into this playoff. I, I think, I, I think, God, I, I know they're a bad match. The Browns have had their number. That that's the one thing that worries me. Uh, the Browns have had their number. Um, the Browns' defense is really good, but I think the Bengals can beat them. I think uh, they'll beat Pittsburgh. I think they've got a shot at beating the Chiefs. The Chiefs look like a normal team now. Um, you know, e even though they line up offsides on offense sometimes, boy, wasn't that something. Um, <laughs> that was crazy. But, you know, Minnesota's coming in now. That's a team that scored a whopping three points against the Raiders. Now they have a good defense. They have a very good defense. They also so made a change. See how good, you know, if this offense can perform fairly well Saturday, I'm really going to have confidence. The Vikings also made a change of quarterback today. They're not going to be going with Joshua Dobbs. Yeah, uh, they're they're going with Nick Mullins. Uh, I I don't I don't know if it's his first start, first career start or not. Well, not first career because he started some. It was the Niners one season. Okay. He's, uh, in fact, I don't. The Bengals may have faced him. I can't remember. God, I should have looked that up. But uh, he played some for the Niners. He's got some starts, uh, and I think, um, 
you know, that's a move they had to make. He looked better than Dobbs uh, in that game. But, I mean, that's a low bar. I mean, they did. Sure. I mean, it's just a crazy game that almost ended 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, but their defense is legit. Uh, but they, you know, is Justin Jefferson going to play? He had that chest injury coming back from the hamstring. They say it's day to day. Um, you know, they, they still got Alexander Madison at running back. Uh, Hawkinson's a good tight end, but is this guy going to be able to get it to him? We'll see. And, and, and as I said, to kick off this Bengals thing, uh, the defense is playing really well. You know, they're, they're playing really well. Now they're, they're turning the ball over. They're getting stops. You know, they're, they're doing better against the run. Now, uh, two weeks in a row, they played pretty well against the run. So I, I just think that, uh, you know, the Bengals, it feels like they're kind of getting it together and kind of peaking. Uh, I just hope for their sake it's not too late. I think they got to finish three and one at the very least to sneak yeah. into the playoffs Playoffs here. Uh, probably, probably potentially not, leaning. I'm going to have them in a scrum of teams and they're going to lose a tiebreaker probably. I would, I would assume that as well. Yeah. Um, so I think you got to at least finish three and one, four and zero. You're feeling far more comfortable. Um, but you, you mentioned the Browns. Uh, the Browns playing in that final week of the season. Maybe they've already made it, and maybe you're playing their their backups. Which I don't know who their backups are at this point because they got four stringers starting at some positions. And yeah, I know. Joe, Joe Flacco. Hey, he had a game. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He had a game, and so did the tight end and Joku. Who's no joke. I mean, that dude has been waiting to bust out, and he hasn't probably had near as good a year as, as the Browns have hoped. He's playing with it, a burnt face. I mean, what did he burn his face on? He he was in a home fire earlier this season. And oh, God, his, I don't his, know how I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, that happened, I want to say, maybe five or six weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, he, I know he, sh- he showed up afterwards. Like, the, the very first game afterwards, he showed up in a full, like, Oh my God! His whole whole face was wrapped. Oh um, Lord! Wow. So I don't know if he's I don't know if he's playing with a, a ski mask on or if he's playing uh, whatever he had on Sunday. Holy God! Yeah, um, two touchdowns, I think. Yeah, yeah, he had a big game, big game, and, and he's good. He's always been good. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I sit here bitching about that twelve point nine percent chance to make the playoffs. I guess I do get it. Um, but I, I, I guess I've got a little more confidence in the Bengals than some people do uh, based on what I've been seeing. I mean, they look really, really good right now. Well, Vegas agrees with you. Uh, Vegas favors Cincinnati three and a half. This game is at home, of course. Uh, the over-under on this one, 38 and a half. Uh, in his presser today, Zach Taylor said, encouraged even, uh, everyone who is going to be attending the game to have an extra drink. And then head in, head in quickly to the stadium to be in your seats before kickoff. Make sure you are as loud as humanly possible. And uh, he's, it's strange to hear him. I don't know that he's ever been one to, uh, I don't know. This seems almost out of character for him to be rah-rah guy. Yeah. Um, Well, he's feeling it. It's that, you know, it's the playoff run, the stretch run. Um. And, and he always looks for any any advantage he can get. He talked last year about scouring the internet for anything that would slight his team or players that he could use, you know, 
to just as any extra motivation he can find, he, he's going to go with it. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I, I feel very good about a victory. Um, in fact, I'll be shocked if they don't win. And so I'll probably invest accordingly because the last game I felt this good about was that Bills game when they took care of business. Um, so we'll see. I hope I don't jinx them, but uh, I, I feel really good about them getting out of there with a win on, on Saturday. So much has happened since that Bills game. My goodness, it feels like forever ago. Oh, I know, I know. And then, you know, I brought this up, um, the Bills game out in Kansas City on Sunday. Did you happen to catch that when when Kelsey makes that backwards pass? It's a touchdown. Yep. And, and then it was Tony Ju- who caught Ju- the is Tony, right. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? And 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 I yeah, you don't want to see officials decide games, but they didn't. The Chiefs did. The dude clearly lined up not just a little offsides. I mean, I don't know how that happened. I know you're tired, it's late in the game and all that business, but I don't know how that happens. And then, you know. For them to act like, oh, they screwed us out. Well, the flag's thrown when the ball's snapped because the dude was off sides when the ball was snapped, and uh, the flag's already there. They don't know if the pass is going to be incomplete, if they're going to run it, if he's going to get sacked, whatever. Unfortunately for Kansas City, the result was a great play and a touchdown, and it got wiped out. And, I mean, that's, you know, do you not want officials – to call blatant penalties. And I know that's a kind of what you would say ticky tacky and maybe it didn't really uh, affect the play too much, but that's a damn rule. You line right. up on side. It's, it's not no. a subjective, it's not a subjective rule. It's a very clear cut rule. Uh, yes. That said, that said, I also don't want to ever hear that team in particular ever complain about the refs when that quarterback is always chirping at the refs after what seems like every play. Why do we know that? Because they're on prime time every week. You are so, right. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's true. That is true. Also, uh, I like that uh, kid. I like also, his passion, but my God, you're right. He does. They, do they, that a lot. they weren't at all upset when uh, those flags came out last year towards the end of a game in in the AFC Championship either. So I'm just saying. No, no, I didn't hear them complaining about that flag with the hit out of bounds or allegedly nah. out of bounds. Right. There, there was no complaining there, and that is you know, a, a subjective call. Uh, yeah. So in any case, um, I don't, I don't have too much more than on the Bengals here. Uh, so we will switch gears once again. Uh, the Reds did make a move in free agency since we last spoke, uh, picking up another infielder. That was so curious. Yeah. Jamer Candelario who uh, three years, $45 million. This team still needs pitching, I feel. Yes. Um, didn't need an infielder and probably didn't need a guy who can play first base and third. But people a lot smarter than me say this is a good deal for the Reds. But those same people are also like, maybe that money would have been better invested somewhere else given what they have on hand. Now, the only thing that makes sense, and I think if they had had something, you know, cooking that serious, a trade, 
um, then it makes sense. But they haven't done anything since they, you know, it's been almost a week since they picked this guy up. And, you know, there's talk uh, at Reds Fest about, well, Jonathan India can play some first base. And, well, now you got this guy that can play some first base. Right. And some third. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they're not sold on Noel B. Marte. I don't know. But he certainly uh, looked apart when he was up here at the end of the year. Um, I think he ended the, the year with a pretty good hitting streak, too. Um, so I don't know what's up their sleeve. Uh, they do have a glut. They already had a glut of position players and and, and infielders. And already, you know, the, there's talk of Spencer Steer playing the outfield because where else is he going to play? And and that was one of your better players this year. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what they do and how this works because I don't see how it works on paper at all uh, without making a deal and trading. And then what do you get? Uh, it depends on who they trade, obviously, but Jonathan India is going to have to be pretty much uh, assumed to be included in any trade they do. Uh, Charlie Goldsmith from the Enquirer reported today that Nick Crawl said 21 and 23 Reds offenses tailed off down the stretch with more depth and experience in Candelario. The Reds addressed that and upgrade the lineup. Steer will play a lot more outfield. India will also work in the outfield in the spring while also playing first and second. So there's your answer. I, I think okay. what you... What you kind of have now in John India is maybe a better hitting. Uh, oh, what's uh, what's the center fielder that left? Uh, Nick Nick Senzel. Uh, an upgrade oh, yeah. on an upgraded bat on Senzel. I would forget about him already because he wasn't good. No, he, he never he lived up to the hype. I pulled so hard for that kid, and you know all the pressure that was on him being what the second overall pick in the draft and it just never panned out. Um, but yeah, he, you're, you're right about that. And um, I don't know, maybe they can make it work. I'll tell you what, it's, it's a good problem to have when you have too many players that you think, you know, can, can play, but I also want to see that pitching fixed. I mean, what they've done so far. Okay. But I think they need a little more than that. And they've got all this, they had all this payroll room and uh you know, if they just come away with what they have, I'm going to be a little disappointed in, in this offseason. I know that they want an ace, and an ace isn't necessarily the easiest thing to come by. Obviously, they've been – I say obviously just from reading, but uh, they've been involved in the uh, Bieber Shane Bieber talks with the Guardians. Uh, he only has one year left. Um, you also look around at some of the free agents available. Um, I know nobody – Nobody wants to say the name Trevor Bauer out loud. I personally, being that he, to my knowledge, has been cleared of everything, I wouldn't be terribly upset if he ended up here on a one-year prove-it deal. That said, I just I also want to win. Um, I also wouldn't be upset if you made a move for maybe one or two of, of the next tier down when you're looking at like a, a Lugo, a uh, Waka, a Stroman, one of those guys. Uh, if you're not I don't know how yeah, much Lugo I had a deal with somebody today, right? Didn't he? Uh, Did he? I, I think somebody agreed to a deal with him. Kansas City, maybe. Um, now, whether that's official, I don't know, but I did see that earlier today. Jeff Passan did report it uh, three years, 45 million. So, yeah, you're right. I was yeah, running after well, kids all day. <laughs> well, I said, you know, trust me. I didn't know Njoku had the, the, the flash fire either. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I 
they, they've got to do something to, to I, I just feel like they still need another starter and they need a good one. But again, you know, you, you, you bring up the guy with one year left on his deal. I don't, I don't want to give away any of these good young players. Without an extension, at least. Year. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at the same thing with like a, a glass now from uh, the, right. the Rays. I would love to have him, but you can't do it for just one year. They've got to, they've got, and I don't know if the Reds, are going to want to play that game because well, and he's got injury history too. So right. that's that's if you're going to make a trade like that, you you have to you have to hope that they're doing it with a with an extension in place. Right, and now with uh, you know with, with with the Dodgers throwing 700 million out there, this freaking this pay structure is all out of whack again. I don't know what to make of that. Shohei Otani becomes the richest player ever in sports. I believe, um, or maybe maybe American sports. Um, I don't know. I don't yeah, know how I messy. I, I don't. I don't know how Messi's not making more than that. But I, I thought I read that this is the the highest paid deal. Yeah, I don't think Liv's paid a golfer that much yet either. But um, I forget what that rumored deal was with Tiger that they wanted to throw at him in Liv Golf, but it was something stupid. And I think. <laughs> One Rob get three hundred million for three years or something uh, when he made the move. So yeah, I mean he probably yeah. I don't know anyone that's made more than that in, in a you know in one contract. Well, and I wonder how much of Messi's deal is tied up in like Apple TV and the other sponsors that helped make that move possible because otherwise you wouldn't have been able to fit him under the cap. But speaking of the cap, with with the Shohei Otani deal, you're deferring 68 of the 70 mil a year. He's only being paid 2 million a year. You're you're apparently going on the books for 46. So you're keeping your, your team out of the luxury tax threshold. I don't blame him for not wanting to get paid that money while living in California of all places, because taxes are outrageous. I wonder if he plans on riding into the sunset when this money comes due and being in a place where he potentially doesn't have to pay that yeah, that's, state income tax. It's funny. I read an article about that earlier today. And I, so he's going to be getting $68 million a year for 10 years after this deal's done. They, they, they pay it over a 10-year period, $68 million each year due on July 1st. Um, and, yeah, it said that he may be thinking after 10 years – I'll just head back to Japan. I'll be there. And, you know, he's not going to have to pay those hefty taxes on that. And that that's a huge difference. And it, it's funny. I mean, I, I just, I couldn't believe it when I read that, that that much would be deferred. It's insane. And and yep. I don't know how, I guess I can see how the Dodgers are doing it because it's the Dodgers. But I, I keep waiting for baseball to collapse because, at some point, these lesser teams, you know, we see it with Cincinnati. You just can't keep up, and I don't know. Well, the Padres tried to. Ahead. The, the Padres tried to keep up with the Juan Stoto oh, yeah. deal and with Blake Snell and just different guys that they've brought in, and they're in bad position financially to where right. they're they're trying to figure out I, – they're, they're locked up in, in courts, I believe, right now trying to – figure out yeah, where it's, they're it's crazy um 
you know, we were talking before we came on about um, baseball in general and, and the revenue from TV and, and, you know, that's kind of jacked up because they don't do it the way the NFL does. And it wouldn't work the way the NFL does. The, the TV contracts are just, you know, so radically different because of the market size and all that. And, you know, the Yankees aren't going to want to make the same from television that the, the Reds do no. because they got the bigger market and more. Their own channel. Yeah. I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, Diamond Sports that, you know, runs Valley Sports is bankrupt. And I don't know what's going to end up happening there. I mean, I, they've got to figure this thing out sooner rather than later, I would think. Uh, I think there is a date coming up. Uh, some something to do with that bankruptcy. But here's what I don't get about this stupid bankruptcy thing. And this is where I have problems with, with some of the laws and the way you can get around things. So Sinclair, a broadcasting company, owns uh, uh, WKRC here in town, uh, may, may own Star 64 too. But anyway, big broadcast company. They create this company, Diamond Sports to go out and purchase and probably paid way too much money for all of those, you know, Fox sports uh, regionals. And, you know, less than two years after making this deal and doing this, they declare bankruptcy, but you can't go after Sinclair. Like the creditors can't go after Sinclair because diamond sports is considered its own company and head of this. And so, they file bankruptcy and there's nowhere to go. And then Sinclair just goes off on its merry little way, keeping all the money and assets they already had. I, I just, sure. I don't understand how the law works that way. I don't understand how you can just start this separate company and, you know, with your money and, but it's not really your company. It's sure. its own thing. I'm still back to not understanding how you can sign a guy for 70 million a year and it not count towards your luxury tax. Yeah, that's 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 weird too. When it's when he is being so paid 68. Before, and what 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 counts against a cap like 46? 46. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand that either. Um I, I don't know how that works. When does the other 24 count against I, the luxury tax? I don't know. Will that count the final 10 years when they're paying him 68 million a year? And, and, and that luxury tax cap has gone up right. significantly as well. I, what are we doing? Yeah, I know. It, it's, it's, I, I, but I keep waiting for it to collapse and I keep waiting for some of these lesser teams. And, and look, we've seen the Reds struggle badly. Um, and it's they just can't go out and pay a guy seven hundred million. They're not going to. They can't. Um, they would go under. So, but the competitive balance in baseball, it's still you know, uh, it's it's still not bad. It's just that these these smaller market teams just can't make the mistakes that the Yankees and the Dodgers and and you know the Angels and and some That's of these nice. other teams can make. They can make those mistakes and. Oh, you know, we paid him 75 mil or 120 mil. Oh, well, dump him and bring the next one in. You know, the Reds can't do that. It kills them. We saw how they were somewhat hamstrung with the Votto contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels like they're kicking the can down the road until everything eventually just caves in on itself. I hope that's not the case. Yeah, and I, I, I think... I would like to thank someone a lot smarter than me, which isn't saying much, 
can figure this out where the the owners and the players and somehow you know it gets a little more spread out i'm not saying exactly the way the nfl does it but i just feel like they got to get a handle on this or or you know there's going to be some teams struggling and and god forbid it could be the reds as well as anyone else that that's in a smaller market and doesn't get near the television revenue some of these other teams get and maybe this contract is a unicorn because it is a guy who plays two different positions, who is uh, at the top, at least with his bat. He, he's as good as anybody. And as a pitcher, he's none too shabby either. So maybe because you're taking up two roster positions, you can kind of budget this way for one guy. Uh, and But if I remember correctly, he won't Dodgers. be able to pitch this year, right? Because didn't he – he had another – he had a Tommy John or something. I don't think he'll – I don't know if they're going to want him pitching this year. He messed something up, and and we'll see where that goes. I, I do remember, I, I believe, was it against the Reds in that game where he was here, or right around that same time? Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. I should be able to remember that. Um, but in any case, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I can't imagine he goes any more than one season without pitching, if that is the case. So, in any case, um, yeah, they'll plan on using him again, but we'll see how how smart that turns out to be. I, I don't know. Um, but boy, that, that contract blew my mind. I knew it would be big, but man, when I saw that, and then you see the, did you happen to see the story about the people tracking the plane going around the country? And it was, it was the guy from Shark Tank. Did you see that? And I didn't see Tommy. No. This guy, <laughs> this guy that, that's on Shark Tank, and this guy's rich. He's got his own plane. Somehow, these internet sleuths you know, we're following the tail number and it was this dude's private jet and they saw it was scheduled to leave uh, California and fly to Toronto. Well, then it, everyone was buying in that this was a plane Otani was taken to sign a contract with the Blue Jays. And the guy lands and gets off the plane with his twin, five, his five-year-old twins. And that's the only people who are on the plane were them and the pilots. And they come down the steps and over at the fence is a crowd of people. Fans were there. Media was there. All this thinking Otani was going to get on this, get off this plane. Now, I actually read a couple of uh, newspaper photographers were there. And after the guy left with the twins, they're like, we're not buying this. We still think Otani might be on this. They waited like an hour and a half or something <laughs> sitting there waiting for someone else to get off this plane. And the dude's like, it's it's my private plane. Otani has never sit, he's never been on this jet, but they they kind of followed it around where it had been in the previous week, and they're thinking this is the plane he's going to be. It, it was a funny story. It was crazy, and it just shows how like people were even watching on Flight Tracker and like taking video of a plane flying over their house, and it's like there's the jet going to Toronto, flying Otani to sign with the Jays. I mean, it was like, Crazy. this, and I, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I read this story and it's like, my God, you know, that that's, that's how things work in this day and age, man, where, you know, a, a, a lie can travel around the world in three seconds and, and it, it really can. <laughs> Faster than even the, the plane that Otani was never on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the plane he wasn't on. 
Um, one last thing I wanted to get to before we get out of here, because you covered him when he was here in high school. Uh, he played for two local colleges here, uh, but he has been playing lights out in the NFL, and that's Ivan Pace Jr., who's making a very strong push for defensive player or, or defensive rookie of the year. Uh, he finishes last week with 13 tackles, an interception to seal off the game, a sack last week. I believe he was the highest-rated defensive player in the league. People, I, I had a tweet that did pretty good numbers this week, um, but it was essentially saying that he's not a diamond in the rough. People are calling him a diamond in the rough. He was an All American. Like let's not be, let's not get it lost that he he was an All American, first team consensus All American. That's not a diamond in the rough. That's just a diamond. It's amazing how he kind of flew. He didn't fly under the radar in high school, but he was seriously under recruited. Sure. I mean, I think we all can agree with that. For his size. He was a hell of a player in high school. I mean, a dominant player who could do damn near anything he was asked to do on the field. Then goes to Miami and uh, does very, very well there. But it, it was all the, – the knock was his height. Sure. That, that's it. That's the only thing. If that dude had been – you know, 6'2 or 6'3, he would have been a five-star recruit and a first-round pick in the NFL probably, you know, if given the same production at wherever he would have been. And who knows, maybe he would have gone to Miami anyway. Um, but it, it's funny because I, he didn't have a UC offer. They they looked at him, they thought about it and all that. And, Even and, after bringing in Deshaun, he, yeah. he didn't have an offer. Right. It, it just, it blows me away that, that, you know, he didn't, it's just like, you know, the draft comes and goes and, and uh, it's funny because just like everywhere he went, he walks in and day one, he's one of the best players on that defense. You know, I mean, it's not surprised. None of, no, nobody who watched that Bearcats team is surprised. Right. Right. I mean, all he does is produce. And uh, I guess we'll get a good look at him this Saturday. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's what a story that is. But but it's it's not – I mean, it is about him continuing to overcome the odds because it seems like he gets put in this box of, you know, too short, not the right size, not this, not that. Um, you know, it's good that he went to a team that – he fits what they do. I don't Absolutely. know if that would have happened everywhere. There's, uh, you know, a lot of times in the NFL, but I don't know how a guy that produces like that everywhere he goes and just racks up these these video game numbers um, wouldn't flourish in any defense. He's just a playmaker. He's just got a nose for the ball. His instincts are ridiculous, um, and and good for him. I mean, I, he's. Made a lot of people look stupid over the years and continues to do so. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you have anything on high school sports this week or not. Nope. I, uh, you know, basketball's rolling out now. Um, we, we put football to rest last week. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to get out to uh, – I got to check the schedule. I want to get out to a Wenton Woods game and see Tyler McKinley play. I definitely want to do that sooner rather than later and sure. uh, i actually thought about doing it last week 
Um, I, I got to get around to doing that and and uh, check him out and see how he's doing. Very good. Well, uh, and then is there anything that you have on FC Cincinnati this week? No, just sadness because, uh, you know, they did lose to the, the eventual MLS champ. Columbus right. went on to win it. Um, That's no know, consolation. They're going to reload and try to get it done next year. We'll see if uh, – We'll see if they can do it. I mean, they had a great year, but on it. You want to win that MLS Cup. And it's a bummer to get that close and then to have, you know, a professional team able to win a championship in Cincinnati just doesn't happen that often. And it would have been nice to, to have that chance. I agree. Well, if there's nothing else, that's going to wrap up a, another episode of George in the Jungle. Uh, did again want to shout out Remington Tavern, uh, 8892 yeah. Glen- Glendale Milford Road, 45140, daily happy hour from 3 to 7 p.m., $5 Woodford Wednesdays. Again, check them out on Instagram at Ramita B. Cincy, or I'm going to, I guess, have to find out how to how to say that. R- Remy, Rem- oh, Remy Tav, that's what it is. Remy Tav, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. That's funny. That is funny because I was sitting here doing the same thing. I, I, I should know this. Um, also, bingo on Thursday nights, and I can tell you um, uh, it was a very profitable Thursday night for uh, a brother-in-law of mine up there. He stopped in for some bingo, and he walked out with, uh, I don't know, three and a quarter or something, 375. I don't know, but the dude couldn't miss. Well, for – Mr. George Vogel. Uh, Again, this was another episode of George in the Jungle, and we will catch you next week. I don't think there's a game, so we should be, uh, again, just normally we will be live at 9, barring any any games that get in the way. So, uh, But we will see you. Oh, yeah, we got one next week, right? Uh, Do we? Yeah. UC plays at seven next week. So I'll probably go to that for the first half and then some. Um, But it's against Merrimack. I mean, I I don't know much about them, but I'll find out. All right. And then we will see you after the game. There we go. (laughs) All right.